I am Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. Listen, one of the most catastrophic storms in Florida's history, possibly the deadliest, regained strength to become a Category 1 hurricane tonight. South Carolina is now bracing for Ian's wrath sometime happening tomorrow, and the very latest on its track in just a moment. We have yet to learn the full scope of the destruction caused by Hurricane Ian in Florida. But what has certainly come into focus today truly is hard to find words for. At least 17 people have died so far, and that is linked to Hurricane Ian. President Biden warns there could be substantial loss of life, perhaps more killed by a storm in Florida than ever before. But it's really too soon to know more. And also too soon to say that the danger has now passed. I mean, there is debris everywhere. There's water everywhere. Power lines are down. Trees have been shredded. Boats thrown on top of one another. Countless homes destroyed. Entire buildings washed away. Fort Myers Beach took the brunt of Ian's wrath as it came ashore. Look at this before and after that's showing the main drag there. Estero Boulevard. It's now largely covered in sand. A popular restaurant called The Whale badly damaged with surrounding homes and businesses completely wiped out. John Berman got a firsthand look at the devastation from above with the sheriff of Lee County, which includes Fort Myers. All that debris just littered everywhere. These were buildings? This was the building right there? There were buildings, restaurants, and what used to be the Fort Myers Pier. What used to be the Fort Myers Pier. I mean, entire sections of the causeway connecting Sanibel Island to the mainland are now destroyed, which cuts off all vehicle access. Our Bill Weir was able to make his way to Sanibel earlier today, and he'll describe what he saw when we go to him live in just a moment. All bridges to neighboring Pine Island, they've also failed. Emergency responders are facing so many great challenges to rescue those who are still trapped. I mean, more than 700 confirmed rescues just so far in the state, but many more are likely. You can see what appears to be military members who are pushing one of their Humvees submerged in floodwaters just south of Tampa. And Florida's governor is saying that it's going to take years, years of effort to rebuild and try to come back. But right now, it's all about rescues and relief. We're going to have full coverage with the latest on the ground and in the sky over the Atlantic. Tom Sater is at the CNN Weather Center tracking where Ian is and where it's heading next. Brian Todd, he's in Naples, Florida, which took a very big hit from this storm. But first, I want to bring in our chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir, who is right now in Fort Myers. And he just got there after seeing some of the hardest hit and most cutoff areas today. Bill, it's good to see you. We need you on the ground. Just minutes ago, you got back from North Captiva Island. Tell me, what did you see there? Well, Laura, it was really interesting. Uh, We went right to the sort of the bullseye of the storm and the barrier islands around that, including Sanibel uh, Island and North Captiva, as you mentioned there. Uh, But the most striking damage was in a place that we're looking at here, which is St. James City on Pine Island. And what struck me about this trip out there on, on Sanibel, you know about the bridge being blown down. 
but a lot of the houses there looked pretty good. They, they, they escaped pretty unscathed because of the quality of the construction. Uh, this is a high-end neighborhood, uh, for lack of a better term. Same on North Captiva. The, it's, uh, there's no cars. It's a golf cart sort of community. You need a boat to get there. And so the homes there were, were sturdier, but the folks, you know, the working-class folks living in prefabricated housing or these mobile homes were so vulnerable uh, especially to a Category 4 like this, Laura. And, and, and the destruction there at St. James is breathtaking. You just, it's, you, you, you can, you, these are human lives uh, sort of spread out all over the ground. And if you forget that, you think this place just has to be bulldozed. What can be salvaged here? But then you have to remind yourself, these are people's lives. And some people did not want to leave the storm, and they certainly don't want to leave now, even though the destruction around them is unlivable, frankly. Did you see people when you were out there in the devastation that needed to be rescued? So, I mean, obviously you were on this location, you were able to get there, but what were you seeing of people who either were unable to leave for whatever reason or desperately needed help? Was there a way to get people rescued? Those efforts are underway in other places. Yeah, there, there are. There's, there's both the Coast Guard, uh, which we saw using helicopters to come in and airlift people out. I know they had a couple dozen this morning. I don't know the, the total for the day, but we were with a bunch of volunteers, guys from the Cajun Navy, uh, Project Dynamo, and uh, some others that we're going to meet one of these members in just a second. But these are guys who are here on their own dime, on their own time, just to try to save Americans. And we saw this, the Cajun Navy, I rode with guys back in Hurricane Katrina, and we informally called them that. They became more of an official nonprofit in recent years. But it was so inspiring to be with people who just wanted to rush into the teeth of this and try to save as many people as we could. Uh, the haunting thing, one of the quotes of, of one of the guys we were with today from Project Dynamo, and uh, he is an amazing figure who has spent last few years trying to rescue Americans both from Afghanistan and Ukraine. He's on vacation here because he's a Floridian and he's out there. And this is a guy who worked in, in military operations in intelligence. And he said, I just believe there are hundreds of bodies out there we just haven't found yet. So it's mm. not just not only looking for proof of life, it's trying to figure out the true devastation as well. But the people that we did see we rescued one couple that their, that their children had been worried about them, called them. They were so grateful to get out of St. James City. Folks on Sanibel, in one case, the husband wanted to go. The wife wasn't ready to go yet. Um, and again, they were relatively comfortable given that they didn't suffer that much uh, devastation. Uh, on another island, there were about 30 people in North Captiva uh, who rode it out and everyone's accounted for and they don't want to be rescued. Uh, so it's really a tale of two storms based on how... Um, your structure held up, how your shelter held up. But bottom line, no matter where you live, there's no water, uh, there's no electricity, there's no cell service. Uh, and so life is going to be very primitive for, uh, regardless of, of the zip code uh, or the wealth of that particular neighborhood. It's going to be brutal for yeah. a long time, Laura. Bill, I'm glad that you, you speak about this because I think one of the things that's not being talked about enough and the devastation in those areas, as you talk about, really is unbelievable and the tale of two different areas, zip codes and beyond, I mean, just the idea of what economic inequality can do in terms of being able to weather a storm and the recovery in an effort to try to rebuild in some way how your home could withstand the wind and everything else. There's so, so much around this topic, and we have to keep focusing on these stories because the natural disasters will continue to occur. I know from your reporting, you're a climate expert as well, 
But some of the issues that exacerbate it are man-made problems as well in terms of the inequities we have. So we'll have to keep focusing on these stories. Bill, stick around, because you talked about um, going to Sanibel Island, and there was a member of the Cajun Navy and an incident commander named Jay Carter, and he's actually with you at your location right now. I want to bring him into this conversation because as you talk about the importance, Jay, please come on in. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad to think about the work that you're doing. I I just have to know, while we're talking, we're seeing all these images that are just devastating to think about. Can you just help people understand what motivates you to go in and the so-called Cajun Navy and how invaluable it really is? I mean, is there an alternative? Is there other help coming? Or is that what motivates you to be there now? Honestly, I just know there's a need. I mean, that's really the the most basic answer possible. Um, But I hope one day if my kid ever needs something, there's somebody like me, somebody like you that's willing to come get them. And uh, that's really the bigger picture for me is is being willing to just help my neighbor, man, help out a friend. And that's what it's all about. People's lives are in danger um, without people like us, without people like Aerial Recovery Group and PCCR. This doesn't happen. I mean, uh, so these guys are willing to come out and give their time and, and, you know, put themselves at risk. So I'm very thankful for all of them as well. And everyone's thankful for you. Go ahead, Bill. All these guys had the... uh, I just wanted to say, uh, Jay's a firefighter, a veteran firefighter for years. These were these are guys who have the hearts of first responders. You know, you, a lot of ex-military, and and just a sense of service, um, which really impressed me. Yes, sir. I thank mean, you. It, it, thank you for saying that, and it is so true. And and speaking of that, I mean, Jay, you sent us a still image of your team rescuing an elderly gentleman. Can you just tell us about that moment? The audience is seeing it. Tell me about what happened. On this particular incident here, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm so sorry. We're um, watching. I was not so, on yeah. this rescue. I, I couldn't okay. see it from my distance. Yes, ma'am. Um, I was not on that particular incident. So uh, that was some of my team members there. Uh, we worked through the night um, from the time the storm started moving just off of the coast. We actually snuck around the west coast side. Um, and our team split up in different groups so that we could reach more people. And this was actually some of aerial guys here that were out doing this rescue. So, Can you tell me what it was like from some of the rescues you did do? I know there was a couple from Pine Island, others as well. I mean, I think that we're trying to get a sense of, of what it's been like. What were the struggles to try to get people to safety? I mean, was the, was the waters, were they exceedingly high? Were the winds? What conditions did you actually go out in to give us a sense of what people are up against now to execute these rescues. Yes, ma'am. The water was the biggest issue. That was the biggest issue everywhere that I saw. Um, we had, uh, for, the, for the family that we saved, the uh, elderly gentleman that was uh, an amputee and his wife, um, they were struggling. They gave a call to their daughter. Um, she had gotten the call about 12 hours prior to talking to us. And the water was rising. Um, they were panicking, thought they were going to die, had no way to get out, had no way to go. Um, and the phone cut off and they had no idea if she was alive or not. So she panicked. She called as many people as she could. Um, she got no answers. Nobody would go out. The water was rough. 
it was really hard to get out in that channel. You yeah. remember how rough it was. Um, so she gave a call out to us, uh, to Cajun Navy, to Ariel, to PCCR, uh, to Dynamo. And uh, we grouped together, we, we formed a team and we went out and, uh, and got to them and were able to call her on the phone. And she got a family member to meet us back at the marina and, uh, and pick up the family, pick up the lady in her house. And Jay wouldn't leave. We were dropping them off and we were gonna, we were gonna go back out and try to go to Sanibel at this point. And, and, and he insisted we got to take care of this couple, um, which is, it just shows you completing the job there as well. Um, but again, but I, I'm interested, let me jump in with a question here, Laura, forgive me for that, but that what you didn't see with us on Sanibel was one partner wanted to leave and the other did not. And it seemed like there was a bit of shock going on. And like, do you, do you, under, do you see that a lot, the effects of the storm yes, where people don't know yes, what to make of their surroundings and how desperate they probably need to get out of those places? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, this is their home. This is everything that they built. Um, this is everything that they love and everything that they know. So it's really hard for them to just walk away from that. Even when it's destroyed, even when it's devastating, their feelings are hurt. They're just, they want to give up, but um, they don't want to leave their home. And I can understand that, you know, we, we have things at home that just can't be replaced. Especially so when remember. you're at your most vulnerable, right? That's right, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But Lori, what he said to me as we were walking out to the boats is, you know, for me, it's a Thursday. For them, it is the worst day of their lives. Yes, sir. And, yes, sir. and when you walk into that, with that amount of empathy, I think um, it goes so far for folks yeah. who need that help. It's so important and true. And I think that sometimes people miss when we people have a tendency, whether they think so or not, they tend to judge the decisions to leave or not. They tend to say, you know, if I were them, this is what I would do. When we put ourselves in that position, knowing full well, just look around what you're seeing. It is impossible for someone to be from where I'm sitting or across this country and know what that is like in that moment, that decision to make and how unbelievably hard it is. And I'm noticing around you, I mean, you're working against all the natural elements. Now it's in darkness. Now it's in darkness, no power, not even the benefit of daylight to see the destruction or perform the different services. Where are you headed next, Bill? Because right now, I mean, you have been hopping around and seeing different areas. And of course, this has impacted so many parts of Florida. Where are you both headed next? Um, well, I'm just gonna wake up and see where the day takes us. You know, that's kind of how we roll. I don't so know. You know, we've been in this little bubble on the boat all day. I don't know what's happening in the rest of Florida right now. I'm eager to catch up on on other communities and what they're going through. Um, I'm just obviously interested in chasing human stories like these and reminding people that we're all in this together at these moments. Yes, sir. Um, so I don't know about you guys. You guys were actually talking about running missions tonight in the dark, which would yes, be sir. super hazardous given that there's no, the pilot lights and the channels that guide boats out in this really shallow uh, Gulf yes, is really treacherous. It's all this stuff floating out there. So, are you going to go out tonight, or are you going to uh, get a little actually, bit of rest? We're actually talking about that. We've uh, we've been up since four o'clock on Wednesday morning. Yeah. We uh, we ran mis uh, rescue missions all night last night. Um, the whole team's tired, yeah. but we want to push through. We want to help everybody that we can help. So, for every minute that we rest, um, there's missions that's not going on. There's somebody that's suffering. And that's just the way we look at it. You know, we want to be out there as much as we can for them. That's unbelievable. What a what the spirit 
and the heart. Did you say, how do people reach you? I mean, you mentioned that they were trying to call other people. How does one find or reach out to be able to get the help from you? Is there just a number they're contacting? Is it word of mouth? Are you hearing about it? How do people try to get your help? Well, to be honest with you, it's kind of a mix of things, and, and, and that's how we want it. We want them to be able to, to reach out to us in any way possible. Um, if we get the call, I'm the incident commander, and I get phone calls all day long from people. Um, our uh, crew that's working remotely gets phone, phone calls all day, all day long from people. Um, you can also go to gocajunnavy.org. Um, the menu page there, you can ask for help, you can donate, and you can volunteer your time. Um, so there's multiple ways that they can they can reach out in the community. The community is amazing. Uh, what's what's really special to me is when we save someone, their entire family tells everyone else, hey, the Cajun Navy, Aerial Recovery, PCCR, they came and they helped us in our darkest moment. And the next thing you know, we're getting phone calls left and right. More and more mm-hmm. people say, hey, I heard that you helped her family. Could you do the same for us? And that's, that's a special moment for me, knowing that it was... Hey, let me throw a t- plug into one of your partners out there today, projectdynamo.org, yes, sir. another nonprofit, which has spent the last couple of years rescuing Americans from Ukraine, the occupied territories, and from the Taliban in Afghanistan. Uh, an incredible uh, organization. Brian's uh, amazing. Brian is amazing. Yes. So, yeah, these, I'm, I'm putting these guys into my family's address book. If I ever go <laughs> missing on one of these stories, because I would like to know that, yeah. uh, that, that, that these guys are out there looking for me. Jay Carter, Bill Weir, thank you so much. Thank you. It's so, it is so heartening to see the spirit that this has done in. Please keep us posted on what's happening and please stay safe. There is much more to come tonight on Ian's Aftermath. But first, to where it's headed next, over the Atlantic now, and it's gaining strength again. Right back with a live update from the CNN Weather Center next. Well, after slamming Florida, what could be one of the largest natural disasters in the entire state's history, Hurricane Ian is now making its way up north tonight. Ian has once again intensified into a Category 1 hurricane and has taken aim at South Carolina and Georgia as well. I mean, Charleston County has already declared a state of emergency. Residents are preparing for a storm that could hit as early as tomorrow morning. Tom Sater is live in the CNN Weather Center. Tom, what is the latest? It's traveling. What's happening now? Well, let me begin with a radar, Laura. A little bit of good news, if we can find it on this extremely sad day today. Uh, the rain is moving out of Florida, finally. And that's good news. You can see it off in areas to the northeast. Now, we do still have a little bit of a northeast wind up here, so we still have a little bit of a surge just going on, or at least continuing to keep the water up on the shoreline. Uh, But just a terrible day where we had several areas with one in 1,000-year rain events, one to two feet almost of rainfall, and, of course, all the water rescues from everywhere, you know, from Orlando and Kissimmee and Winter Park over to St. Augustine up toward Jacksonville. But let me show you now where we are. The current position, uh, and this will pretty much show you everything you need to know, 215 miles south of Charleston. Almost everything you need to know is by looking at these watches and warnings. In red, and here we go, from Cape Fear down through the, all the coastline of South Carolina, and you get down to near the border uh, with Georgia. That's a, a tornado warning. 
Now, it's still a warning down in Florida, but it's offshore. Now, we have, of course, tropical storm watches. We have tropical storm warnings. Look how far inland they go. This is going to shock some people, Laura, I think, because even though it's very disorganized, uh, and, of course, the National Hurricane Center is showing us that we do still have a center, and it's a warm core, which means it's still a hurricane, until we can better define uh, where that center actually is. I mean, we know where it is, but it's, it's kind of discombobulated where the track will be. Now, here are those winds coming into the northeast, so we still have a little bit of a surge here. But you can start to see the rainfall now picking up coastal areas of Georgia and toward uh, parts of South and even North Carolina. All of this heavy rainfall is on that northern flank. Uh, and that's what we saw in Florida. So that rain's going to be moving in ahead of our landfall. And here it is, a Category 1 tomorrow afternoon, maybe sometime between 1 and 3, puts it right near Charleston, historic Charleston, which floods easily with 4 or 5 inches. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to be looking at uh, you know, some pretty good winds and heavy rain. But it's just to the north of there, so maybe they miss out on some of the heavier surge. But they're not I mean- going to miss out by much. Well, I mean, Charleston, I mean, right on the water, you mentioned the yep. idea that flooding easily. We've seen the damage coming out of Florida in the proximity, obviously, to the coast. How about the storm surges? I mean, is that equally a threat in places like South Carolina? Or are we talking about the amount of rain would be enough? But the storm surges, I mean, you've told us so much about that. Is that a real risk there, too? This is a big risk. This is a big deal. It's called the low country for a reason. Mm. So when you have four to seven feet in along that, you know, coastal area of South Carolina into Charleston, it's going to push that water well inland and flood Charleston. How far in will it go? I mean, we still have areas of two to four, three to five, and coastal areas of Georgia. But when you focus in on the coastline of South Carolina, here's Kiowa Island, here is Charleston. Now, yellow is three feet, okay? You get into this area of orange, we're talking six feet. Uh, This is mainly a marshy area. Uh, Again, of course, that's okay where we have some areas of red, which is nine. It can absorb that. But you get into areas of the Ashley River. You get into, you know, Wanda and Cooper. This goes well inland. So I think a lot of people are going to get shocked. And if you live anywhere in these rivers, I wouldn't just sandbag. I would pack up what you can and try to get inland a little bit because we don't want to get shocked like we were down in southern Florida. I mean, we knew what the forecast was for the surge. But to see the pictures, it's hard to wrap your mind around it. And then you toss in a good, you know, six, seven inches, eight inches of rainfall in some areas. This is going to be a big deal. And well inland toward Columbia and up to the north toward parts of Raleigh, North Carolina as well. So it's not over with yet. And it'll make landfall as a Category 1 hurricane. So, again, take this extremely seriously. It's sad news, yeah. though, for, you know, areas like Charleston. Of course. Uh, to see that flooding. We'll keep on the story and we'll keep on the hurricane. We yeah. want people to be safe. Tom Sater, thank you so much. Sure. Everyone ahead, many Floridians did choose to stay in their homes to ride out this deadly storm, and that's despite all the warnings. Well, among them, our next guest, a mom with four children, why her family decided to stay put and what their last 24 hours have been like. We'll talk about next. Many Floridians in the path of Ian evacuated, but many others did not. One of the people who decided to stay is Juju Gorgel, who is a mom of four, including a one-year-old. She rode out the storm at her Fort Myers home with her family, and thankfully, thankfully, everyone is okay, including the dog. 
But look at this video she took. I mean, yes. trees are uprooted, downed power lines. There's damage everywhere. Yeah, and she joins me now. Juju, thank you for being here. And it's very good to see you in, in the light of what we're seeing here right now. I've got to ask, what was it like to ride out this storm? Well, you know, I've been here basically my entire life. So I've seen a lot of hurricanes. And that's what us Floridians do. We ride it out, we stick together, and we just prepare. We are people that we are very positive, but we prepare for the worst. And uh, we are going to build it back better. Juju, I certainly hope so. And I'm so glad to know that you and the little ones are doing okay. I wonder, um, and based on what you said, for many people, they saw this and thought this is another hurricane. They've heard the reports in the past. You've weathered many in your past. You said, what was the reason you decided to stay? Was it you didn't think it would be as bad as it was? Was it unexpected? Well, like I mentioned before, we prepare. This is our home. And we prepare. And that's what we did this time, just like all of the other times, just like Charlie, just like Irma. We're prepared. Of course, this time, our coast took it really, really bad. Fort Myers Beach took it really, really bad. You know, thankfully that it was just building. Like I said, we'll, we'll build, it, build it back. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this and thinking about it as a mother myself, and I cannot imagine having to do this and try to go through it. You have a you have four children. You have your dog as well. I mean, some of them are very young. What was it like being there with your children? You must have had your own fears, your own concerns. But, you know, as mothers, we have to make sure that we're not always showing that and ha- trying to comfort our children. What was that like in your home when that happened? Well, we were very safe. Uh, that's what we do. We boarded up. Uh, we make sure that we are safe, and uh, we are. We make sure that we are at the elevation level, that if uh, 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 waters rise up, we are safe, and that's exactly what we did. We make sure that the elevation levels out of our home are on the level that even if we have a surge, we are safe, and it's exactly what we did. Anybody can go on the website, on a female website, and check their elevation level, and if the news tells you that your home is going to be on an elevation, you know, with a surge that you need to evacuate, then you need to do that. So that's exactly what we did. We checked our level and our home was safe and and that's why we stayed. So for everybody in zone A, uh, I, I believe that most people in Sanibel got evacuated and people in zone B also got evacuated. And then, and that's it. We were in a, in an area that later on we're told to, to possibly evacuate that maybe we would see surges in certain levels and we made sure that our home was safe and uh, we were safe. We didn't see any flooding whatsoever in our home. Mm. We didn't, we don't have any damage in our home and that's what we do in Florida. We prepare. So the areas that needed to get evacuated, they got evacuated. There were cars going around telling people, to evacuate it in those areas. That did sure. not happen in our area. So we wow. prepare and uh, we make sure that we are safe, which is exactly that uh, what I did as a mother of four. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are safe. 
Juju, I'm so glad to know that. And thank you for joining us and make sure that I hope you continue to be safe. We're looking at the devastation from the video footage. And unfortunately, not everyone had the same result that you did with their homes. And I'm glad to know that yours was safe and that there was the information to allow you to prepare appropriately. As we're seeing, though, all across Florida and across the coast and devastation, everyone out there, you can see that sometimes the preparation is nothing compared to the storm. And the wrath we're seeing continues. Devastation, we're not quite sure everything. We're going to head down the coast. We're going to check in on Naples and the rest of Collier County as well. The mayor of Naples says the impact there is devastating. Let's see what he means next. In Naples, Florida, the historic pier is still standing. But as you watch video of the pounding it took, frankly, it's a wonder how it is even still standing. The storm surge tore through Marco Island. And after it ripped through downtown Naples, they're talking weeks, if not months, for recovery. Rescue crews use jet skis trying to get to people. And at times, the water has actually been up to your waist. It's that deep. For those that firefighters could not reach, the only option, which is still a dangerous one, was then to walk through the floodwaters. Our own Brian Todd is in Naples tonight. Brian, we're looking at the devastation. We're seeing the footage as well. I mean, how bad is the damage there that we're talking about? Well, Lori, you just mentioned the phrase weeks, if not months. That's exactly the phrase that uh, officials here in Naples told us it would take to recover uh, from this, uh, from the storm's uh, hit of this city. Take a look. And this is what we're talking about. Look at these ground floor apartments here. The This is all from the force of water. This is not wind damage. This is the storm surge that came up and just tore out the facade of these two apartments on the ground floor here. We talked uh, to uh, a young lady who lives on the second floor here. She said she didn't believe anybody was in these apartments at the time this happened. She was here. She wrote it out, but she said the water was really forceful. I can show you at least a kind of a, a relative uh, indication here of what they, what she told me. The, the She said the water levels were up to the level of a street sign that's out there, and she pointed it out to me, and it's about this high from what she told me. So this is this was the force of the water that came in. We're about 150, 200 yards from the beach, and it came over an elevated beach to uh, tear through these apartments. Um, city officials here have said that um, the property damage to the city itself uh, will range probably in uh, up to around $20 million. They believe that property damage just per, to personal property could extend up to $200 million. And one city official said that is a conservative estimate. So this is what you've got here, Laura. And it, this, these scenes are just strewn throughout the city. There are several apartments that go all the way down the block that are just like these. You know, we would show them to you if it was daylight. I could kind of walk along and just, you know, show you just the, the extent of the damage here. But if anyone was in these apartments, they were in real danger. Now, again, the young lady who lives on the second floor here told us she did not believe that anybody was in these two, but there could have been people in some of these others, Laura. So you get a sense of not only the damage, but the danger as well. Are you seeing rescue efforts around those apartments as well? I mean, I know it's, I know it's not daylight. Are you seeing people going in and out to check or is it just too precarious right now to do so? It's a good question because uh, the police chief here, Pete DiMaria, and also rescue officials in other nearby towns are telling people don't come back yet. 
do not rush back to your homes. It's too dangerous. And if you get hurt, we have other priorities for rescue, and we're not going to be able to rescue you. We have seen people coming in and out of these areas checking. Um, and again, it may not be too treacherous to maybe come in and out of one of these places that you're on the ground floor. But even then, uh, you know, people who are veteran first responders know that even when you go into a place like this, there are shards of glass all over the place. There could be downed lines, uh, you know, exposed wires, things like that. These are not safe places to go. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. That's, that clarifies, and it's disheartening to know this as well. Everyone, Naples, as you know, is the county seat of Collier County, and the sheriff's office was in the air today assessing the flooding in one of the most vulnerable parts of the country. I'm joined by Collier County Commissioner Rick Locastro. Commissioner, thank you for joining us here this evening. Look, the hope was to finish rescue and search efforts before dark. Here we are in the darkness. Has everyone been accounted for? Um, well, I, I can't say if everyone's been accounted for because the 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 struggle we we face here is when we um, so, uh, strongly suggest people to evacuate and they don't, and then we lose cell phone, we lose internet, um, on all types of reachable coverage. Um, you know, unless you're going door to door, which we did a lot of today in Collier County, and had a lot of neighbors report, "Hey, we have an elderly neighbor. We they decided they didn't want to evacuate. Can someone go check on him?" We did a lot of that today. I will tell you, I'm very, I was very impressed with what Collier County did in the way of evacuation. Much like your last reporter said, a lot of people aren't here. I spent the whole day all throughout my district, and um, the, the people that are here were all dragging out couches and carpet, and, you know, they had four to five feet um, in, in their, uh, you know, flooded in their, um, in their homes and their apartments. What's going to happen is once power and things like that are restored that bring a lot of the evacuees back. They're going to be horrified at what they find here in some places. This was all about catastrophic storm surge. We've had hurricanes before. You lose your roof. You lose your pool cage. I'm not making light of strong hurricanes, but at times when you have that, you can go back into your structure and, you know, if power is restored, you're cooking dinner. Water is so devastating, just like fire, just like tornadoes. Um, it's a different type of catastrophe. We have never seen storm surge to these proportions before. And, and just in 2017, we had Hurricane Irma come through here with very high projected storm surge, surge levels. But because the storm changed a little bit in our favor, the storm surge was much less than what was initially yeah. forecasted. This time, with the meteorologist forecasted, I can tell you, I personally saw every inch of that storm surge and what it did to my, um, you know, my county and, and district that I'm the commissioner for. Commissioner, is there clean drinking water? Is, is there power? Yes. Yeah. So, the, so we have full drinking water. And I will tell you, that actually was a pleasant surprise because during Hurricane Irma, and I, and I, I, I don't I, I wasn't a commissioner at that time, so I don't know the reasons. We had no pressure. So the water was fine, but you just couldn't get the pressure out of it. Water, showers, everything's working perfectly. Today we made a lot of progress. Um, we restored, uh, we had power restored in some key areas of Collier County. Um, I live on Marco Island. It's a big piece of my district. Marco Island got hit very hard by storm surge. If you're familiar with Marco Island, you know, mm-hmm. we kind of consider this a resort town, but we do have plenty of people that live here full time. You can't escape storm surge here. And so this place was devastated. The entire island is still in the dark. Cell phone service and, and even texting is somewhat sporadic. 
I'm impressed I'm talking um, to you now. Yeah. But on the other side of the bridge is where I spent the bulk of my day today and the rest of my community. Power was being restored. We have a very aggressive plan to pick up a lot of the debris, people that are yeah. dragging stuff out to the street. Um, and it's things like that that will, will start to restore the community a bit. I mean, the structures, that's going to take maybe more than months. I'm wow. here in the weeks and months, and I'm thinking that's very conservative. But mm. some of the basic necessities that people um, really need, uh, we're trying to get those restored back. But we do have water, and we do have water pressure, which is, um, you know, is, uh, is a, is, has been a huge positive. Yeah. Commissioner Rick Castro, thank you for being a part of the program, saying keep us posted on what's happening. It is heartening to know that there is at least the drinking water, and we're still hearing so many wonderful stories about human relations and people being able to help one another and to look out for one another. So please, I hope that will continue. We will watch for any major new developments on Ian, and we're going to bring them right to you here. But also coming up, we're going to turn to Vladimir Putin's next moves in Ukraine as Russians scramble to leave their homeland when CNN Tonight returns. Within hours from now, Russian President Vladimir Putin is expected to host a ceremony in the Kremlin to formally declare four occupied Ukrainian territories as part of Russia. The territories make up nearly 20 percent of Ukrainian territory. The action, of course, is viewed by Ukraine and the international community as illegitimate and an illegitimate attempt by Putin to further justify his war. Joining me now is Josh Rogan, foreign policy and national security columnist at The Washington Post. Josh, you and I have had these conversations before about what's going on. This annexation seems like we've been here before. Right. Putin's style is that he sets up his next series of options. And what he's doing with this annexation is to give himself two basic options. One is to establish new facts on the ground in these two regions of the east and two regions in the south to press the international community, to press the Ukrainians to sue for peace. The other option is, by claiming these as Russian territories through these sham elections, he's threatening the West and the Ukrainians that if they continue to attack them, uh, he could escalate. So he's giving himself an escalation option and a de-escalation option. The problem is that either way, it's not going to have the effect that he wants because the Ukrainians are not going to stop fighting while they're winning. And or negotiate. Got, or negotiate because they know that what, if they were to negotiate and give these uh, provinces to Putin, all the Ukrainians behind those lines would suffer horrible atrocities. And uh, that would not end the war or end, lead to justice or peace. So we're going to have a few months more of fighting. Winter is coming, but it's not here yet. So until that happens, and as long as the Ukrainians are pushing the offensive, U.S. and European partners are going to help them press that offensive. So Putin's gambit is likely to fail. But we don't know which of the options he's going to choose, the suing for peace or the escalation. And uh, either one uh, is, is, is a pretty dangerous scenario. Well, so far, one of the choices he's done is to have a draft. And, you know, you're seeing people who are leaving Russia who don't want to be, you know, drafted. They are now seeing some cracks in the propaganda machine. What impact is that having, you think, on this decision? Sure. Well, there's no doubt that after seven months of fooling many of the Russian, not all, but many of the Russian people into to believing it's propaganda, that this was not a war, that the special military operation was going well, that it was going to be over soon, uh, that jig is up, okay? The, there's no denying once regular Russian people all over the country see their sons and fathers and grandfathers and uncles and brothers herded into a meat grinder with no training and no equipment, uh, there's no more propaganda win. Even the state propagandists can't sit there with a straight face and toe Putin's line. So 
Now he's just flat out telling the Russian people, you're going to like it or lump it. So as the pressure increases inside Russia, again, it could lead to Putin backing down or it could lead to him pressing the gas button. And what he wants us to think is that if he escalates enough, that will back down. Uh, But it's too clever by half because, as we just discussed, uh, the reality on the ground in Ukraine is that the Ukrainians are winning and this would be the exact wrong time for them Mm. to respond. And, you know, I feel bad for millions of Russians who are suffering, but I feel worse for the Ukrainians who are suffering. The Ukrainians are the victims. and The Russians are the collateral damage. One thing you did mention, you mentioned grandfathers. Putin did come out in a a rare occurrence where he corrected a mistake about the draft, enveloping too many people into his entire um, entire thing. You know, one of the things about the, the, real quick, the Nord Stream pipeline has been an issue is this part of the, the tactic to try to, from all offenses, try to fortify the resolve that he thinks people are lacking? Right. So to be clear, we don't know exactly what happened with the sabotage of those pipelines, but U.S. and European officials believe that the Russians blew up their own pipelines, which seems like a crazy thing to do. But again, if you understand how Putin operates, it actually makes perfect sense because what he's doing is setting up a pretext so he can say, oh, look, I'm the victim. And then he's also threatening to attack European pipelines uh, to set the European countries on a mission of setting their militaries all over the waters to give them busy work and to increase the pressure on them. So uh, while other than Putin and Tucker Carlson, it seems pretty clear that everyone knows that Putin did this himself. And what that means is that he's playing the crazy man card and he's a little bit crazy, but it doesn't change what we have to do. We have to win the war. Josh Rogan, thank you so much. Everyone, thank you so much for watching. Our coverage of Hurricane Ian continues now with Don Lemon tonight. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.